0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Glad to be with you folks today. Apologies for the light amounts of episodes we've had this week. Obviously, been kind of covered up, busy. I think I did about a 305-post AMA on the Big Spur yesterday. And uh, uh, that's going to change. We're going to get back to the daily episodes. Lots going on. Lots of recruiting stuff in the football world. Obviously, Shane Beamer is putting together a staff. Lots to talk about there. Uh, First thing I wanted to get to today, though, is this whole Will Muschamp, Ray Tanner contract not signed story that came out in the state. My guy Ben Briner with an excellent piece of reporting on that. Uh, Good job, Ben. Uh, I don't think this is one of those times where you look at what the state's putting out there and, you know, we kind of scratch our heads, especially on their editorial page, which is garbage most of the time. Uh, It kind of beats up on South Carolina for no good reason based on, you know, political opinions, which which I don't agree with. Leave sports alone as far as that goes. Uh, And those of you that heard me talk during the pandemic may say, well, you were taking a political stance on that, but that's not true. The pandemic's directly related to sports. Uh, you know, in terms of whether they're going to play or not, that, that wasn't political. That's just, you know, me being kind of pro football, um, you know. But but that, that's what I have to say about their editorial page. This is not an editorial or an opinion. This was a good piece of reporting uh, by Ben Briner at the State, and it said, well, you know, the must-champ buyout reduction that took place last year um, was never signed, and therefore, you know, he's owed the $15 million. Um, and this is why I said last year, Uh, that maybe a change last year would have done good I didn't see the pandemic coming and the revenue lost and all that but I I didn't think the buyout this year was going to be any different and I don't think South Carolina did not make a move because of the buyout last year I think South Carolina uh, did not make a move because Ray Tanner did not want to And, and that that's the bottom line there and that was obviously not the right decision at the time but you know, maybe uh, some of these players that they signed in the 2020 class end up being really good, and, you know, maybe it ends up being something that worked out for everybody. But, uh, you know, on this story specifically, John Whittle of the TheBigSpur.com, who's all over it, uh, writes an article today. And so he, here's what it is. Go read the article. Uh, I don't think it's behind the paywall or anything, uh, you know, about what happened. So Thomas Brown, uh, who actually left to go to the Rams, uh, was making three hundred grand a year. Uh, he was getting a lot of uh, offers to go elsewhere. He's a really good coach, obviously, really great recruiter. Um, and so the deal was, we'll we'll take 200 grand and the guaranteed salary off of uh must champs contract. And then we'll throw it on Brown's uh, and he'll make five or whatever. Um, and then Brown left. And so nobody talked about it, but that kind of did away with that. And so that's why it was never signed because that was the idea. And Whittle's got some details and some minutes from the Board of Trustees meeting and all of that. Now, I understand that there's people out there that, you know, really think everything Ray Tanner does is is bad. And, you know, they want him gone or whatever. And I I don't think he's above criticism. But I think in this situation, uh, like a lot of things that people get on Tanner about, it's more of a PR move uh, and not handled the right way. I mean, they probably could have come back and said, well, hey, we're not doing that now. Uh, because of brown and, and probably announced this over the summer and everything would have been fine but because the story in the media was they reduced the buyout they just kind of let it let it roll and then lo and behold it's not and, and Ray Tanner obviously said he's negotiating with the buyout maybe a lump sum that kind of thing uh, and so maybe it ends up being lower uh, than what thing is I, I don't I don't think carolina people and, and I understand why people out there and let's just take Ray Tanner out of it I understand why people out there are like, man, you know, $15 million buyout, that, that's big. Because, you know, the last time South Carolina fired a coach uh, in football was in 1998 when they fired Brad Scott. That buyout was nothing compared to this one. You know, Lou Holtz retired at South Carolina. Steve Spurrier resigned uh, at South Carolina. Uh, and and I don't think Spurrier or Holtz, either one, had a buyout in their contract. So so this is life in the SEC. Uh, You know, you look around at some other schools, uh, Tennessee, how many coaches are they paying? And they're maybe about to add another one. You know, you look at the buyout at Auburn with Gus Malzahn, um, which, you know, at the time, uh, Auburn was one of the best teams in the country uh, for about two or three weeks back in 2017, or the best team in the country, really, because they smacked Georgia down and then they beat Alabama by double digits. And those two teams ended up playing for the national championship that year. Uh, and so Arkansas is open at the same time uh, you know you start thinking Gus may go home and, and so they get stuck with that now I think you know that that job could open and I don't know if there's mitigation in, in that or not and now the lack of mitigation in the contract I think is, is a fair criticism. Uh, most head coaches in the SEC do not have that some do um, but I think that's a, you know that's a fair criticism Muschamp didn't have it at Florida either. You know, and and, and look, the, don't vilify Will Muschamp. You know, this is America, and you need to get as many dollars as you can, and he's got a family and all that. Um, it, but, you know, the, the, he's just got a good agent. Jimmy Sexton's a really good agent, and, you know, that's what they agreed to. Uh, I think if Tanner is at fault, it, it's kind of probably for continuing to, you know, pour money down something that was, you know, a lot of people felt was a hopeless cause uh, at the time. Uh, I, I think that uh, the big the big costly part of it to me is the extension because the yearly salary uh, it was, what, $4 million? You know, so, so you extended that out a year. You know, in recruiting, as long as your coach is sitting at five years, you're fine. You know, you're not going to get beat up. It goes under five, yeah, it gets a little tricky. Uh, but, you know, extending it out to six after a 2018 season that did not end well. Um, that had some good moments but did not end well uh, at the time I thought was overkill, even though at the time Muschamp had won more games than in his first three years than any coach in Carolina history, first coach to take him to three straight bowls uh, in the, you know, and all that. Uh, I, I don't know that – I mean, you would had to have been Nostradamus to think that – you know, to, to pinpoint that it was going bad at that time because basically what you had was – a blown lead at Florida, a game against Clemson where your offense actually put up five 600 yards, um, and then a bowl game where, you know, you don't, you don't really base things on bowls. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody's learned that. I mean, you look at, you know, Dabo Sweeney lost to Skip Holtz in South Florida um, in 2010 in a bowl game, and then they won the ACC the next year. Steve Spurrier lost to UConn in a bowl game and then came back and won the East the next year. You know, I I don't know that you you sit there and, you know, with the bowl game and say, all right, we're not going to extend you now. Uh, But I I think overall, you know, there was really no need to extend him out to six uh, at that point in time because five is fine. If you've got a five-year deal, uh, you're you're fine as far as recruiting goes. There's nothing that, uh, you know, there's nothing that says – you know, you can't do that. So uh, there is a lot of stuff to criticize Tanner for uh, this one. You know, I think you can criticize the optics, uh, but it made sense. And look, everybody had to agree to it, you know, and and we'll see if they negotiate it down or a little bit, then all of a sudden, you know, Tanner's good. But but I think the general thing is why people are reacting as strongly is, that you know, nobody's used to paying these buyouts at South Carolina because it, it hasn't happened in 22 years you know and during that 22 years salaries for head coaches across the country have skyrocketed and that's a big topic people can certainly get into um I'll tell you this it, it it's a deal where you know it makes you feel less bad for coaches that lose their job because I'm sitting there going well you know you get you hand me 15 million right now I'll walk away from everything those of you that are out there that, that don't really care for me or the podcast. It's funny because you listen to the podcast and you read everything I write. Uh, you give me fifteen million, I'll go away. I'll, I'll, I'll be on an island somewhere, uh, sipping a cold one. Uh, I'll resur- I'll go to the. I'll, I'll resurface and I'll give me one of those uh, new suites that they have at Williams Bryce and just uh, enjoy the games for once. Uh, so, so you know, it's hard. It's it's hard these days with these salaries to sit there and really feel sorry for people. But I feel bad for is the assistant coaches. They're all on one year contracts. Some of them you know it's good money but if you take that money and you divide it out and you're out of work all of a sudden because it's hard to get back in you know once you get out uh you know that you and your family are going to be struggling so i just uh I, I just think at the end of the day you know it, it's a situation where it it looks bad on the part of tanner but because of the logical explanation you know some people were like it's a fire fireable offense and all that i, I just Uh, I think this was just something that internally was common knowledge, but they just didn't, again, the PR thing, they didn't really put it out. Same thing, I think, with the the Missouri coach, the Missouri AD that made those ridiculous statements about racism. You know, I would have liked to have seen Ray Tanner myself put out a statement that says, University of Missouri should never talk about race (laughs) and accuse another institution of racism when, you know, it's, it's clear, right or wrong. Uh, And I'm not going to dig into whether the Missouri people with the poop swastika and all that were right or wrong because I've got questions about that, too. But, you know, for a program like Missouri that's had documented issues with racism uh, to come into a a building where you have a team that's led by an African-American woman and all African-American women on the team and to accuse them of using the N-word and racism or the fans of doing that. That's a little bit ridiculous, you know, and, and I, I thought Tanner, you know, when he said, well, I'm confused and all that, he probably should have just released a very strong statement that said, listen, you know, University of Missouri has had documented issues with these, these, uh, these situations before, you know, let's not, you know, let's not throw stones in glass houses. Um, and I would have liked to have seen that kind of statement from him, but, but he's not wrong or incompetent for not handling it that way. You know, I, I think that when you talk about people criticizing for the final four uh, and on the men's side, and, and I've said for years, I think they they have to do more to promote that program and, you know, pump resources into that program. Um, you know, that was a marketing mistake, and he's got people that work for him that, that do that and that, that probably, you know, heads should have rolled, um, you know, but maybe maybe they, they were talked to behind the scenes. I mean, he just – the optics thing with Ray Tanner uh, I think is bigger than the legit criticism. Now let's say Shane Beamer loses his first 24 football games (laughs) or goes three and 21 or something like that. And this thing gets ugly uh, and that ends up being a bad hire. Then I think at that point you're like, well, the hiring thing just really isn't, you know, you haven't, you haven't hit magic, you know, with the hiring. So Let's move on, but I I doubt that that's going to happen. uh, In terms of uh, Shane Beamer, I think it's a a good hire. I think you know he's got a good plan, Um, and I think that that things are going to turn relatively quickly. I I don't see the Gamecocks having another two and eight type season. Uh, Of course, next year the schedule is going to have Troy and East Carolina and Eastern Illinois. Those games are very, very helpful. I mean, you, you think about. You know, a two-win SEC team. Uh, you know, because we're talking about Carolina going to a bowl, okay? And you know, it, it's they're two two wins in the league. They didn't have the the cupcakes. You know, they didn't have uh, coastal. And I'm mean, not, you know, I I don't know that they were a cupcake this year. You know, I, I think that opener would have been really, really interesting. But um. <clears throat> You know, I think Carolina still would have beaten Coastal in the opener. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you you look at Coastal Carolina. uh, I think there was East Carolina was on the schedule. Uh, And then I think you had Wofford, you know. So you win those three, you get to five and seven with two SEC wins. Um, You know, Mississippi State went to a bowl at five and seven a couple of years ago. So, you know, people are talking about that, but I I just don't see two wins – um, happening, maybe two conference wins, but I don't see two, you know, two and 10 or something like that hung on the board under Shane Beamer. But, you know, with, with Ray Tanner, I, I think that everybody needs to calm down. You know, I think that a lot of people that, that do not like him, you know, saw blood in the water, so to speak, when, when the story broke of the state. And, again, good job by Ben Briner for breaking it. But I think when you look at the explanation, it's plausible. And people knew about it, you know. So, again – this is not like an incompetent situation that oh I you know I, I miscounted you know I'm, I'm working at Macy's and miscounted my drawer and so now we're two million short you know this is something that was known that makes sense but the optics are bad and and, and I think in the University of South Carolina in general you know they get slayed a lot over the they've gotten slayed a lot over the years with the optics game um, you know and and it's not helpful sometimes that the the school you know, Clemson, the other school in the in the in the state, uh is, is very masterful at the, the optics game. Uh and so I think again, a lot of the frustration kind of leads to the upstate with Gamecock people because they don't understand how you know this happens uh optics-wise. So it's an optics situation. I think everybody needs to move on and and you know, we'll see kind of how Shane Beamer does. We'll see. If the men's basketball team, and that's a bad deal there with the COVID situation and all that, uh, missing the games against Wofford and George Washington, uh, they got Clemson next uh, if they play it. I think in eight days, but uh, you know that's a. You know, we'll see if they turn it around. We'll see uh, how Mark Kingston does this year, and then you know I think after this academic year, you, you kind of look and, and you evaluate. I think right. I think everybody including Ray Tanner always evaluates where they are after an academic year and you know if, if the people the powers that be want to change ADs you know that's a good time to do it uh you know I I was you know when I, when I looked at it on the surface I was like well if this is something that was just incompetence th- then I think a conversation has to be had but I I don't think it was I think it was incompetent optics uh, and, and obviously, you know, you could predict the, uh, the um, reaction uh, out there uh, when that happened because much has been made of the buyout and you're dealing with a fan base that's really not used to these kind of numbers with a buyout anyway. Had this been Ole Miss or something like that, I don't – Ole Miss, uh, Tennessee, Arkansas, all these schools that have made changes, I don't think anybody blinks. But at South Carolina, it's just not something that we've all seen you know, in the past 22 years. So we'll see what happens there. I did have a note, one Shane Beamer staff note for today, Clyde Wren. Uh, my understanding is he is – and I said on the podcast he's probably going to go do something else. But um, my understanding now is he has been asked to stay and he's going to stay on through the transition. Clyde is a guy that's universally respected um, throughout the state of South Carolina. Uh, he, You know, it was a Clemson back in the day under – Danny Ford uh, worked at South Carolina through a number of staffs. Uh, You know, just a guy that I think with his connections in the state and his lay of the land and knowledge uh, is invaluable, um, you know, to any coach, especially one coming in, you know, that that doesn't have that head coaching experience. Now, Shane Beamer knows the lay of the land in South Carolina, but Clyde knows even more people. And having those connections, I think, is invaluable and certainly was glad – you know, to see Clyde stay on, he's one of the good guys. You know, as far as other staff goes, it's up in the air. <laughs> uh, I can't even begin to speculate on some names. I know I've got the mailbag here and there's some names in there, but, uh, and I'll address those when we get to the mailbag segment. But I, you know, there's a lot of interest and, and, and I think that sometimes, you know, when you're looking at resume and and stuff like that, it, it, you know, one one of the things Muschamp did was I think he was comfortable with everybody he hired because he knew them. Uh, but there were some big resumes, as I've pointed out, that came in that just, you know, didn't really jive with the South Carolina program or how to recruit at South Carolina. And, you know, it, it's part of the reason that, you know, things didn't go so well. You know, I mean, you look at – Like I said before, Brian McClendon, Lance Thompson, there's nothing wrong with those two guys recruiting-wise. They're both really good. Um, Maybe evaluations with with McClendon were not his strong suit, but Lance is a really good evaluator and a really good recruiter. Um, And uh, quite frankly, I think they've missed Lance's coaching on the defensive line the last couple years. But, uh, you know, those guys, had they struggled in recruiting. I mean, Lance struggled to recruit in-state. And uh, Brian McClendon could not convince his uh, nephew to come, you know, from Georgia. Uh, and that was tough. And then the receivers he got were, were not very good, you know, for the most part. So, and he, and more than that, more than, more than talking about the guys he got, because there's some guys like Rico Powers, Jakari Caldwell, um, th- th- Mike Wyman to a certain extent. I, I think those guys still have a chance. They're not Xavier Leggett, who was hurt all year. I I think these guys still have a shot. But, you know, then there are a lot of guys that that weren't that good. Some guys that had to be moved position-wise. It it was the guys that they they turned down in state. And then Zay Flowers, you know, who Arturo Freeman, you know, had ready to roll for South Carolina and goes to Boston College. He's one of the best players in the ACC. So, and, you know, the the kid at Virginia, uh, LaVal Davis, I think his name is. Um, So, yeah. So so that was the more the issue there. But, but look, those two guys were decorated recruiters, and McClendon's having no problem recruiting uh out at Oregon. And when Lance gets back in, he'll have no problem recruiting wherever he's at. Um, so so I think with with those lessons learned, you know, you, you may see some guys that, that have been at some big time places that have recruited some big time guys that, that may not get in over a, a guy that you've never heard of. But you know, when you look at the totality of the Muschamp era who were the best recruiters on the staff? Well, I'd probably say outside of Will Muschamp himself, who was heavily involved in a lot of players, um, you know, individually, I'd say Bobby Bentley and Mike Peterson. And those guys came uh, into on the field roles and on the recruiting trail roles from off the field roles at other places. And, um, you know, first time out there recruiting, those guys, those guys were better than the veterans. So, um, you know, to, to me – you know, that's uh, that's something to kind of take a look at, you know, and consider uh, when Shane Beamer starts announcing his staff, you know, don't freak out if you get like the top assistant from Coastal Carolina or a guy that's off the field at Oklahoma that's never recruited before. Um, and I'm not – please don't put words in my mouth and say Chad Staggs is coming and they go look at Oklahoma staff and say, well, this guy's coming because I don't know that. Uh, and I'm not saying that. I'm using that as a hypothetical. So – you know, don't don't get crazy if that happens, and be like, "Well, I thought there was going to be this good staff." Now, a coordinator-wise, you know, I I think there's some expectation there for guys with some pro- a proven track record, or guys that are no brainer, absolutely ready. You know, because the coordinators are the ones on game day that are going to really, you know, they're going to be dialing it up. You know, this is Shane Beamer is not Will Muschamp who could call a defense in a pinch or. Um, Steve Spurrier, who obviously called the offense, I think Shane could call an offense, but he's never done it before. So the coordinators are going to be critical. So i I think it's okay. I think it's okay to be skeptical of anything because you know this is America and and that's what freedom of speech and all that's all about. But but I think that you know if you're looking to be very highly skeptical and uh, you know dig into who, who he's getting on his staff. I would definitely look at uh look at the um coordinators first. You know, don't don't you know if some like some guys like the you know the cornerback's coach and you've never heard of him, you know, chances are this guy's gonna go do good things in recruiting. So so that's 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 the deal. And I've seen it, you know, I've covered recruiting for a long time. And it cycles through. You you have your godfathers out there, your your Rodney Garners and Mike Loxleys of the world, um, you know, Brian Steinspring, Spring. Uh, who, you know, was at Virginia Tech for 20 years, tied into the 757. Uh, he's a guy people have talked about maybe being on Beamer staff. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but maybe. Um, you know, you got your guys out there in recruiting that they're they're kind of the Godfathers, and and it's to me the Godfather of recruiting. And, and I'm sure a lot of you are not going to like this is Philip Fulmer. You know, and, and those are the guys. I think still to this day, Philip Fulmer probably helps them recruit at Tennessee effectively keep in mind Shane Beamer worked under Philip former for three years. Uh, but, you know, the rest of them are guys that like, you know, they're known for recruiting. They do a good job. They blaze a trail. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're on to other things. And, and so there's a new crop of, of, of younger coaches that come in because that's kind of how you make your name as a young coach. You get out there and you sign players. Um, You know, Billy Napier just interviewed for this job and was a strong candidate for it and has had a good run at uh, Louisiana, worked for Saban, all these other guys. How he made his name was when he was a young player, coach at Clemson, he would get into these recruiting battles. You know, that's how Shane Beamer made his name. You know, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Virginia Tech, really good recruiter still to this day. Um, And and so – that, that would be my advice to everybody on the staff. As the names come in, you know, the important thing is the coordinators in terms of, of – I'm not going to even say a name, but a guy that's effective, you know, because some of these guys, I'll be honest with you, that are coordinating at the FCS level or the group of five level are damn good. <laughs> uh, better than probably a lot of folks, you know, I, I think. So – We'll see kind of how all that shakes out and uh as Beamer continues to put the staff together. But Clyde Rand definitely is a guy that's staying. I think um, you know, I lots of speculation on who will stay. I, I know that right now the, the the current staff, they're they're you know, working on recruiting to a certain extent. Des Kitchings uh I think's been a good guy. And you know, he was obviously the recruiting coordinator at NC State. Uh, he's gone and, and kind of led the charge to get some, you know, some some offers out, uh, you know, and, and they're recruiting. And then next Monday they're all coming back and starting bull work. Uh, and, and that's interesting. I'll talk about the bull here in a second. But, uh, you know, as far as recruiting goes right now, you know, there, there's been some, I guess, uh, junior college offers uh quad davis uh out of mississippi i I think he's a guy that uh they kind of had you know oklahoma sometimes will dip down to the mississippi jucos especially for receivers he's a guy beamer sort of had on his radar um you know he's from mississippi i don't know i can't i know he got another offer yeah he said florida state offered him south carolina's offered him so you know, we'll see kind of how that works out. I, I think he's a guy that certainly is is worthy when you watch his film. Uh, he's listed at 210. Uh, again, I don't know. I, I think it would be better if he was 190 because sometimes those 210 guys get up to 230 pretty quick. Uh, but but he's a, you look at him on film, explosive uh, playmaker. They offered uh, out of the high school ranks a kid from uh, Montgomery, Alabama, Jawan Gaston, who is a baller. I think he has like seven special teams touchdowns this year. Uh, The kind of playmaker on defense in the backfield I think you need. Uh, They have also offered Isaiah Norris, uh, who's committed to Middle Tennessee. Tennessee volunteers have also offered him. uh, Played at T.L. Hanna. um, Teammates with Marcellus Dial. And then another big one, Byron Young, uh, who's from – Carver's Bay, uh, who plays at Georgia Military, defensive end, the Must champ staff had offered him. Uh, but the Gamecocks, you know, I, I think what they're trying to do is maybe get a threefer there with Norris, Dial, and Young. Uh, Norris and Dial are guys that can step in and uh, provide depth at corner, you know. Uh, I think Cam Smith and John Dixon should be back, uh, you know, but those two guys can step in and give some older guys. Uh, and then Byron Young, I think, is just an outstanding player, kind of under the radar you know, I, I was thinking today, all the gathers that came out of Carver's Bay were good players. Uh I think De'Adrian Coley also came out of Carver's Bay when um, he, he, you know, he went to JUCO and came back for the Gamecocks. Uh, probably wasn't the four or five star JUCO guy that, that he was rated, but Spurrier's first year, he ended up being a pretty solid defensive end for the Gamecocks. So. Uh, Carver's Bay kids have a low bust rate Because every gathers that's come out Even Clayton who went to UCF And is in the NFL as a safety That was a big miss by the Gamecocks uh, Ended up doing some stuff So, you know, here's some good thoughts If Byron Young, wherever he goes Because Auburn is right there too Here's some thoughts that Byron Young You know, could end up uh, As a Gamecock As an in outside linebacker With pretty good a pretty good pedigree coming in uh, this kid it, uh, is committed to Coastal from North Myrtle Beach. And um, having grown up part of my life in North Myrtle Beach and paid attention to the Horry County Schools. And, look, if you're a North Myrtle Beach Chiefs fan, uh, you know, and you've been good and I didn't rec- I didn't know that the last few years, please forgive me. But I don't remember North Myrtle Beach being very good. North Myrtle Beach or Sockistee, uh when I was in Horry County. But uh, they were really good this year. Uh, up in Little River. And this kid, Chase Simmons, is a monster on the defensive end uh, end of things. 6'4", 240, he's recently gotten a lot bigger. Uh, quick first step, violent player. Uh, one of those guys, I think, I mean, I you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of Logan Rudolph that played at Clemson, who had one of the most unique commitment videos I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, didn't really pan out all that well at Clemson, played some, and then decided he was going to not play. Uh, and then a little bit like David Pollock. Uh, now Pollock was like 6'2". Uh, Pollock was a lot like Eric Norwood in a way. But if you take Pollock, Norwood, Logan Rudolph as a recruit, kind of put them all on the same ball, you know, this, this kind of kid. I mean, just a, a ten- tenacious guy that's athletic enough to wreak havoc. Um, I like him. I think they should offer him. Uh, I'll say it right now. I don't know that they will, but I think they should. So um, that's the deal there. Uh, you know, Omega Blake uh, talked and had a good conversation with Beamer yesterday. I think he's very important. Um, you know, TJ Sanders as well out of Marion. So you know, you can kind of see it coming together. I think the strategy right now is going to be to see like, okay, so who can they get that's going to sign early? Because you got you got the the Hardy Ten. Left, uh, and, and I think those 10 are pretty. It's a pretty good nucleus if you go through every player. You know, I I'd try to keep at least eight of them, maybe all 10. Um, you know, the, the, the two guys, Jordan Davis, the offensive lineman out of Atlanta, uh, and, and then the kid from Riverdale, whose name escapes me, uh, something junior, although his film looks pretty good. Uh, let me go here. Uh, Derwin Burgess Jr., uh, at Riverdale. Um, you know, those to me on film would be guys that you go, well, you know, not that they're not good, but you could find them someplace else, you know, if, if that makes sense. But, you know, uh, Colton Gauthier obviously is the quarterback. T.J. Sanders is a high upside D tackle. Omega Blake probably one of the top playmakers, maybe the top playmaker in the state this year. Caleb McDowell uh, is a, a ball of hate. The way he plays, he just plays hard and as fast as lightning and can help in so many ways. Sam Reynolds is a track guy that had a nice senior year at Thompson High in Alabaster. If you have not seen the Thompson High versus Auburn High end of the state championship game in Tuscaloosa, go check that out. I don't know that Reynolds made any big plays, but it was an amazing miracle win. Nick Barrett, defensive tackle from Goldsboro, North Carolina, I think is the most underrated guy in the class. And number two on that department would be John Darius Morgan, the offensive lineman from from Birmingham Huffman, and he's at the Alabama Mississippi All Star game this week. So, if he's a stock up guy, you know that may be you know watch out for some other schools trying to come in there. But I think you know the 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 Hardy Ten, you know they're ranked ninetieth in the country right now, last in the SEC. But a lot of that you know depends on quantity. Uh, And I think there's some quality guys here. This is an excellent foundation and starting point if, you know, you keep seven to eight of them. Um, And I think it's probably realistic. So you got that. And so then what are you going to do? Well, you know, JUCOs can sign early. JUCO, uh, it's been kind of a good thing because I I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and I may be wrong about this, but, but I think junior college players just like college players didn't lose a year of eligibility this year. Most of them didn't even play. So I, I think that now now the NCAA doesn't run the junior colleges, but I think that that would be fair. Um, so you're looking at extra years and stuff like that. You know, so going JUCO this time, especially with the early signing coming up, you can if you can get those three out of Georgia military uh, and then eight of the ten that are already committed signed, you know, in the early period, that's, what, 13 – you know, 11 to 13 guys, I think that's a hell of a start. And Maybe you get the kid from Montgomery, too, that you offered that's really, really good. Maybe you get the kid from North Myrtle Beach and you get 13-14 in the early period, and that'd be a heck of a start, uh, I think, all things considered. All things considered. I don't know where it's going to rank, but, you know, I'll I'll say this. Ole Miss was 73rd in recruiting a couple weeks ago. They're 19th now. So, <laughs> so yeah, sometimes these rankings can change. The more players you get uh, and all that, so don't don't worry about the team ranking uh, probably at all this year. I would say, but especially don't worry about it right now. Uh, you know, Ole Miss was able to flip <coughs> Hudson Wolf from Tennessee. Uh, you know, and they've gotten some other good players. They they've got a pretty good class going in, and that's uh, to be expected with Lane Kiffin over there. And I think Shane Beamer is going to have a pretty good class as well. Uh Speaking of Ole Miss, uh, we'll go back and look at, at their class. And, and It's just a similar situation, although it's twice as hard now with the pandemic and not being able to go on the road. But, you know, Ole Miss came in late, uh, you know, last year. Uh, it was a coaching change. They finished with a 34th-ranked class in the country, 12th in the SEC. You know, but they got some, they got some players in the class. You know, Henry Parrish – is a guy most of you are familiar with. You know, he got a lot of carries this year. They, um, you know, even though it was, you know, the 12th ranked class in the SEC it was still pretty good, and there's some guys that are going to end up, you know, doing a lot of good things uh, at Ole Miss. So, you know, that if, if you want to kind of look at a class to say, well, where should, where should Beamer realistically be at the end, it's probably Ole Miss. But then I'll say this, the, you know, the transfer portal thing uh, is going to make it even crazier. So, you know, just don't uh, – you know, maybe – and look, those don't count in the rankings either. They should, and I don't know that 24-7 sports is working towards that or not. But, you know, when you when you start thinking about it, it, it's like, you know, okay, so if you get five transfers and they all are good and four JUCOs, which are rated lower, you know, and your class rank is 42nd, how bad is it really? I mean, that's not a ideal ranking, but does that mean, you you know – Like Southern Cal last year, I think their – their ranking was – and people made a big deal out of it. I'd be willing to bet there's probably a lot of players in this Southern Cal class that will be in the NFL. It was a small class. They only enrolled 12 guys um, and had one transfer and uh, only 12 guys and there were some three stars. and They finished 64th and last in the Pac-12 in recruiting. Um, you know, whereas you turn it around, they didn't have a coaching change, uh, limited scholarships. You turn around this year, they're thirteenth in the country. You know, so so one class is not going to kill you, uh, and they also got Michael Trigg, which I think, you know, how how he ended up wanting to go to Southern Cal from Tampa, I don't know, but hey, it's Southern Cal; it's a great place. So we'll see how it goes, but you know, recruiting. It's about to heat up. Uh, there's going to be, you know, we're here eight days from the signing day, I think, or, or maybe five, you know, so we'll see kind of how that goes. All right, so that's enough on the news and notes department for me. Uh, I'm going to get to what you have to say because it is um, ESPN Upstate. It is ridiculous. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just scrolling through Twitter here. After the inexcusable and ridiculous commentary, you know, of the 2.1 million debacle, what's your level of the Gamecocks' front office? It's not a front office. <laughs> That's the problem. People think it's a front office. It's not. I mean, and those people at ESP and Upstate sometimes just don't know what, do, what they're at. Mm. Anyway, I used to work there. I like those guys. I like them personally, but some of the crap that you see – from their people about the Gamecocks. I mean, it's. I don't care about having a critical – being critical. I mean, that, you should be critical. But it's just inaccurate, you know, the inaccuracy, you know. It's just ridiculous. And then they put a poll up. So, anyway, let them roll. That's why people listen to podcasts now and not live, uh, live radio. And I think it will continue. It will continue to be that way. So, anyway. All right, there's no Twitter questions. You can tweet to add the Big Spur pod for that. So uh, that's that. Uh, first email is in from Jordan, insidethegamecocks at gmail.com, by the way. Number one, JC, you wrote the case for Shane Beamer five years ago. Now that he's the guy, can we get the 2020 version? Honestly, I feel like that could be a whole episode itself. Uh, I'll say this. I went back and re- reread that article Uh And there's not much I would change other than he's probably, like, a little bit – you know, because I – you know, as far as his offense and stuff like that goes, I think he's probably more a little bit involved on the offensive side having been at Oklahoma. Um, And he's a guy too, man. I'll tell you this, that he's always, you know, loved explosive offenses. You know, he's always been a guy that if he ever got a head coaching job would lean that way. Um, And I think just kind of seeing how that's done at Oklahoma – has really helped him, and that's probably about it. You know, uh, the things that were mentioned in that article are the things that are mentioned now. Um, I do know that the South Carolina administration felt like he was not ready uh, quite yet in 2015, but they, they have no questions, obviously, about that now. Number two, you've referenced the idea of Vandy switching to the triple option to be a different and special prep. That would give them a chance to compete. Would Chadwell's offense be unique enough to accomplish the same thing? I think so. I think Chadwell's uh, offense is very unique. I think that uh, it would give some teams some problems. I I don't know that at Vandy that we're looking at. You know, because the thing is Coastal's fast. Coastal's got speed. They've got athletes. The deal with Vandy is you're not going to always have the athletes, you know, the speed, the quick twitch ability. Uh, that type of thing. You can you'll have some and, and they have had a lot. Uh, but you you just don't you don't always get that. That's why I think that the you know you, you look at the service academies and you see like you know how they get by with not having a lot of athleticism. And I still I still wonder to this day what Kevin Harris would have done at Navy, my goodness. But um so they'll go get a guy every now and then. But but I, I think at Vandy you're you're kind of facing the same kind of deal. You know, uh, I think that they had dreams of becoming Stanford uh, when they won nine games back-to-back under James Franklin, so they go and get Derek Mason and let's just keep it rolling. Uh, James Franklin benefited from two things, okay? Number one, James Franklin had a good defensive coordinator. Uh, I think it was Shoup at the time Uh, that was an excellent X's and O's guy that could stop people, Uh, and he had a, a, a diverse enough scheme on offense to grind it out. You know, make things happen, um, and, and and number two is James was able to recruit because of his personality pretty well. And he's only there like what three four years, but Bobby Johnson and his staff, if you remember, a couple of years before Franklin got there, they signed like a top thirty class, and they got a lot of those guys. You know, they would go, they beat Carolina on some people when Bobby Johnson was there, and. He benefited from inheriting that. Now, so, so, so I think the the the, the disconnected Vandy was. Well, let's just keep it rolling, and we'll go hire this guy from Stanford, and we, we're gonna we're gonna get even better and be the Stanford of the of the SEC. The problem was, Mason came in had had a lot of the same players. Decided to, to install a rock throwing offense after the kind of diverse spreadish type of thing Franklin run. You know, let's do a pro style offense. That's the you know, nobody's a pro style, but this was a rock throwing contest. I for yeah, you know, this is a pro style offense. Um, and then like install, you know, we're going to flip it to make it a three man front defense, like you like to do at Stanford and stuff like that. And they they proceeded to go winless in the SEC to start with. And so, you know that that's where Vandy went wrong. And then they stuck with with Mason for seven years because he was good at beating Tennessee. and uh and that's that's that so you know I I I don't know that it's just as easy as saying we're going to be different here uh and and that you need to go get a plan I mean I you know I, I I thought it was kind of gutsy for Georgia Tech to go with Paul Johnson um I I think that they were wrong in thinking that that could be that kind of offense could be sustained because just like James Franklin inherited a lot of players from uh, Bobby Johnson, you know uh, Chan Gailey had his best recruiting class, and Paul Johnson walked into that. That's why you saw a guy like Jonathan Dwyer and a guy like Jamar Nesbitt out there, you know, uh, and uh, Morgan Burnett, the safety, was a Chan Gailey recruit. So uh, I think Georgia Tech was naive. Georgia Tech's a different ball game. Than Vandy though, sure they have academic hurdles they have to get over. Nothing like Vandy, uh, and Georgia Tech people care. You know, Van- I'm sure the Vandy some Vandy people out there do care, but you know their administration doesn't always act like it. So, long story short, I wouldn't go with Chadwell, and if I were Chadwell, I would not take that job. If I were Chadwell and I wanted to to to, to move. I'd maybe see if there was a good group of five job that came open. Like, what if something crazy happens and Luke Fickle gets uh, Ohio State or, I mean, Michigan or something like that? You know, Cincinnati, Jamie Chadwell, that'd be great, you know, um, from Coastal. So I would do that or, you know, I, I just – you know, and look, bottom line is money talks. Vanderbilt pays $2 million, $3 million a year. Uh, you know, obviously, if, if you're making what you're making at Coastal and, you know, you get a job that pays you six times the money, you're going to give it a shot. Uh, and he's won at some places that are kind of like Vandy, Charleston Southern, North Greenville. But I, I just think that's just such a, you know, I, I, I don't have a good feeling about anybody that goes in there. They're talking about Will Healy leaving Charlotte going in there. And I just, you know, and he's got some connections to Middle Tennessee. And I know it's very tempting to want to live in Nashville, uh, and that money's that money talks. Mm, you can smell the money. But if Will is on such a good trajectory right now, you know, and, and, and Will's one of those guys too. Healy's more of a head coach than a coordinator. So, you know, he gets canned, he's going to have to go be a head coach somewhere and go back down. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see Chadwell. God forbid he goes to Vandy and beats South Carolina um god forbid that happens but um you know i I don't know if i were them i'd go with jeff monken and i'd say bring it all on the option the program building whatever you did at army come do here and and unlike georgia tech where it's going to erode i don't think vandy's getting great talent anyway you know i think they get a few here and there and piece it together so i don't even know what you have to lose That would be what I would do if I were Vandy, but they're not. They're probably going to go chase the next big thing, and then he'll lose and do whatever. Would Hugh Freeze qualify as a caged animal hire for Tennessee? It will be a former blue blood with a full but very dusty trophy case going after the guy who flats out flat out wins. I don't know. I think you could classify that as that, but, you know, the, the caged animal hires that have taken place, you know, the last couple of years were Michigan hiring Jim Harbaugh, and uh, you know the Nick Saban to Alabama is obviously the 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 cage cage animal hire. You know, I thought that um, had Chip Kelly taken Florida, that was probably a cage animal hire, and obviously he went to UCLA and it's not doing well. Um, you know, I I I think that with Tennessee. Uh, Let's say they instead of Freeze, because I I also hear that Freeze and Fulmer kind of don't get along, uh, for whatever that's worth. Now, that doesn't mean he's not taking that job, because I think he's going to probably pursue it. But, uh, you know, I I, I don't know. Maybe Bob Stoops would be a caged animal hire. Uh, I think Urban Meyer to Texas, although that seems dead right now, would be a caged animal hire. Um, that kind of thing. Freeze is a, a more kind of a more with less guy. Um, so I think it would be a great hire. But caged animal to me is more like, okay, like, like let's say Bob Stoops had taken Florida State last year. That's a caged animal hire. Um, you know, and, and so we'll see like that. So it's kind of borderline for me. Love Hugh Freeze, though, as a coach. And unfortunately for the Gamecocks, if he does go to Tennessee, he'll probably do some really good things. Uh, Florida State is a mess, and I don't believe Norvell has a toolbox to fix it. Strong offensive mind doesn't strike me as a program tape changer. Who would be the caged animal hire for the Knowles? Um, probably it would have been Bob Stoops. I, you know, I want to see that they say Mackenzie Milton probably is going to go to Florida State. So, so, so let's see when they get a good quarterback in there. Let's see if that thing may turn. I don't know that it will turn, and I and I tend to lean toward you as far as. uh The culture, you know, they need a culture guy, you know, that's going to come in there and weed things out. Is that Mike Norvell? Well, maybe, maybe not. But they're going to stick with Norvell for a while and probably rightfully so. So they get McKenzie Milton. We'll see kind of how that shakes out. But I don't know that out there right now there's a guy for FSU you point to and go, you know, caged animal hire, go get it done. Because I don't think they're capable, after reading all I've read about them, and their athletic department and the money and all that, I don't know if they're capable of going and making that hire. You know, Tennessee can throw th- hundreds of thousands at you, you know, millions at you. Florida State, maybe not so much. Jordan, good stuff. Jason emails in. JC, thanks for all the info during the coaching search. One quick question. Kazin seems to be a hard guy to read because he had not spoke much since last year, but what have you heard about his views on the hire – Seems like the rumor's were you like more head coaching experience. Thanks for the podcast. I can't confirm that. And, look, everybody's got their preferences when it comes to a coaching search. And just because that was a preference – I mean, look, I'll say this. Shane Beamer would not have the job if the president hadn't signed off on it. So uh, I kind of look at it like that. Uh, there wasn't – you know, a lot of people talked about a tug of war and all this other stuff. But I, I, I really don't think so. I think Caslin and, and Ray both – after they completed the interviews with Napier and Satterfield felt like Beamer was the guy. That's why Beamer has the job, you know, and and, and Satterfield and Napier probably needed to have knock it out of the park with their interviews and, and, and make them think a little bit. They did not. And so here we are, but Caslin uh, is a hard guy to read. I, you know, he, he doesn't really speak that much on the record. He kind of, After last year with the football thing, you know, he kind of keeps quiet and all that. But, um, you know, we'll see kind of where his leadership goes. All right. Let's kill the false narrative about Muschamp. James says, J.C., you've said on prior pods, Muschamp was an excellent coach Sunday through Friday. Not trying to bust your chops, that clearly is a false narrative. Comments made by former players imply – Systemic program issues. You called these issues out as well. Must you emphasize, the individual over the team, he certainly played his favorites. (sighs) Even if these players weren't the best player on game day, I I don't know. Maybe. Not at quarterback, if that's what you're talking about. If you're talking about Colin Hill, that's a different debate. But, yeah, I don't know. You know, who was out there – that was I mean look I I think this I think personnel use yeah I mean I mean look I, I could probably say I could go with like Rick Sandage right now because I think Rick just needs to go play and the more he plays and the more it's like okay you're either going to play well or you're going to get hit in the mouth and embarrassed I think the better he's going to play <laughs> um but we're also in a situation where winning and losing was you know losing was probably going to happen um only an idiot would say I don't believe in gamers Oh, yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, and a lot of, a lot of coaches do th- say that. Steve Spurrier said that. You play like you practice. Um, but Steve Spurrier also knew that when a guy went in there and performed in the game, that's why he kept trying. He would try somebody else. If a guy's not getting it done, just try somebody else. And it happened. Must Champ is a pathetic head coach. You should never be given the keys to another program. I think it's going to be a long time. Um, as far as excellent coach Sunday through Friday, uh, and I'll explain this and, and, and I'll, I'll stand by the things like recruiting that he did well. Uh, his players went to class. They didn't get in trouble. Um, you know, good citizens uh, must Didn't embarrass anybody out there. Um, he could hire good coaches. Um, I think that's what was meant by that. Now, we we've gotten out of the must champ era. And see, that's all on the surface. And that's why Ray Tanner, uh, I think, and a lot of people were praising him. And because you you, you kind of look at it and you're like, well, here's all the decisions he's made. That's good, but but nobody's at practice, right? And so nobody nobody kind of sees behind the curtain. It's like the wizard of oz a little bit. Um and, and so I think that, that uh my dog is getting uh <laughs> I guess he doesn't like this subject a lot. But um, you know, so I, I, I'm not gonna sit there and, you know, apologize for saying that because I think, you know, when you look at the what you look at to evaluate coaches, you kind of scratch your head and go, why you weren't winning. Now, since then, um, and look, it all started with me with Muschamp where I started kind of thinking about this. Number one, never been in a place like South Carolina entire coaching career at a, at a high level has been at places that recruit themselves, that, that, that are different than Carolina and all that. So that's number one that I think everybody missed, you know, especially me. Okay. So I'll admit that. Number two, you know, you, you hear in terms of injuries and, and, and things like that, you know, it was better this year to a certain extent, um, you know, and, and another thing, they handle COVID better than any staff in the country. So that's excellent leadership. But you also still, by the time the, the, the season ended, guys were worn down, they started getting hurt again. Um, and, and I think one thing people didn't think about either is Muschamp practicing in the morning because it was the NFL style. And I don't know that they're the only school that practiced in the morning. I just don't think it's a good idea because these are college kids. And, um, <laughs> you know – I think that regardless of if they're going out at night and partying or not, and I don't think they're all I don't think the guys are going out partying, you're you're awake when you're that age at eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night. You're either studying or you're talking on the phone to your girlfriend or whatever. That's just how that's how you live life as a college student. And so you only get six hours sleep and you're practicing every morning. You add all that up by the time you're at the game on Saturday, you're exhausted. And and your body and your internal clock, you know, even when you have a night game, you're waking up at six because that's what you're used to doing. And so, so, and when you're tired and fatigued, that's when you get hurt. And and I don't know. That's a theory of mine on why the injuries were like they were. I don't know that. I don't remember if they practiced in the morning at Florida or not. Um, but but I think that if if I were getting hit with injuries, I would I would have thought about that and maybe tried to adjust it, get make sure the guys got rest. Um, I know that they. You know, working out in the morning during the winter program or summer program is a different story. You know, you go 6 a.m. during the summer, you're fine. You know, you got summer school or whatever. So I think that's something to look at. And I think the NFL thing, I think what they did was they they got there. There wasn't much in the trophy case. How do you recruit? And I think that kind of threw them off. And they're like, well, let's just sell them on getting them to the next league. Uh, And then when you're part of a team and and that's all you talk about, even if, you know, you got good kids. Because I I don't think these guys are like selfish guys. I think they were just part of like, okay, well, this is what we're supposed to do. So, you know, you can kind of see some decisions that he made that you don't think about, you know, the, the practicing in the morning, the NFL pitch, because everybody's just talking about, well, you know, just go recruit the guy and get it. I mean, you know, Steve Spurrier recruited a guy at Florida one time, James Bates, and said, well, people save up their whole lives to get old and come down to Florida, and you get to come down your 18, and he was sold. <laughs> so there's different ways to get guys in, and I think that was the focus, but you also have to think about what does that imply. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as certainly playing his favorites, I, there, there are not too many guys out there that, that wouldn't be starting under another coach. But, you know, it does make you think sometimes. It does make you think. And certainly it's not Colin Hill. That's a different, Colin Hill is a different debate. You know, that, 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 that that is a, that's not just a must champ thing. Although, if you give Mike Bobo, you know, Mike Bobo's coached what? Six halves of football as the interim. And in five of those, Luke Doty's been playing quarterback. Uh, but no, I, 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 I know why he did that and all that. But anyway, um, I'm not going to repeat that narrative anymore about excellent coach Sunday through Friday based on what we've unearthed. But I hope I've explained why that seemed to be the case when Muschamp was there and, and why a lot of other people, you know, uh, obviously felt that way as well. Mitchell says, I got two questions regarding Gamecocks NFL draft prospects, particularly Ernest Jones and Kingsley Inigbari. I know Jones declared for the draft. We had not heard from Barre regarding it. With this, how do you view them as draft prospects? you think they should return to school? I know Jones already declared, but I do think he's the best draft prospect besides J.C. Horn. Passion reminds me a little bit of the, some of the great linebackers in NFL history. It could be a steal for a franchise come April. As for Barry, even though he's a three-way tie for the SEC sack leader, I would like to know how he hasn't been mentioned as much as J.C. Horn. Usually sack leaders are equivalent to first-round draft picks. I think he needs to improve, but I do think he has the speed to be an effective pass rusher in the league. Yeah, Enigbare probably would go higher than Jones if he declares. I think Kingsley has, or JJ, as they call him, needs a, a little more. Apologize for the dog again. I don't know why people can't just, you know, stay put while I'm recording this because he reacts to motion. But that's just that's just how it is. Nobody really wants to listen to me on that, but. uh Kingsley Inigbari, I think to me is a guy that will get drafted pretty high, you know, because of you know his pass rushing ability. They love those guys. They don't. They don't. Sometimes they don't even care if they can play a lick. Otherwise, the run or whatever. Uh, so if he declares, I, I think he'll get drafted pretty high. I'm, I think he needs to come back, but uh, you know, because I think he could be even better next year uh, in a different scheme or whatever. Uh, but who knows? My, my, I, if, you add, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say he'd probably leave. But, you know, that hasn't been determined yet, and I haven't heard that from sources. Ernest Jones is probably a fourth or fifth-round guy that will play 10 or 12 years in the league. You, you've got that right. Um, yeah, I don't know that he's going to test off the charts in the combine. He's not a pass rusher. He's kind of a Mike linebacker type. Those guys don't have huge position value. So I do think, though, at the end of the day, um, he'll get drafted and will have a long career in the NFL. Thanks, Mitchell. Appreciate that. Noah says, "JC, I keep seeing Jay Bateman's name from UNC as a potential DC. Haven't watched much Tar Heel football, but they do seem to give up a lot of points. Is he a realistic candidate? How good is he? What scheme would he run? His scheme's very progressive. Uh, lots of pressure coming from lots of different places. Um, is a guy that was really good at Army." And and he was really good at UNC until this year. Uh, I think that, you know, those of you out there that think Scott Satterfield's a terrible football coach because he's had a bad year at Louisville this season, first bad season in his career, you know, uh, since he started, you know, those of you that are that short-sighted, I think are going to be anti-Bateman if he's the guy. I think those of you that see the big picture will say, no, he's, he's pretty good. I mean, did anybody watch North Carolina play Clemson last year? <laughs> he held them to 21 points. I mean, you know, with, 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 you know, not a ton of talent. Then he had a bunch of guys opt out. I mean, look, this year, who are you going to hire? If your criteria is, you know, if you don't get John Heacock from Iowa State, and they're playing as good a defense as anybody in the country with a bunch of two and three star talent, by the way. Um, if you don't get him, who are you going to get that's not giving up points? I mean, everybody's giving up points this year, even Alabama. So um, that's my little thing there. I, you know, I think Bateman's in the mix. Will he be the guy? Who knows? I think Bateman, Heacock, those are the guys you got to look at right now for D.C. But, you know, if you ask me to put odds on it, I, I'd say there's like a 33% chance that it's one of not one of those two guys. You know, a lot of people out there that are possible D.C. guys. But I appreciate – and, no, I wasn't coming down on your opinion there, bud. I've just heard – from too many people, this uh North Carolina's given up a lot of points this year, don't want him. And that's just you know, the same thing with with Satterfield when he was in the head coaching mix is oh, he's bad at Louisville this year, don't want him. And I'm like, Well, you know, this is a year where it's lots of screwy things have been happening. So I, I don't know that you you judge everybody based on this year. I, I don't think Will Muschamp got fired because of a two at eight year this year. I think he got fired because of last year and then two and, – and then what was getting blown out three straight – or giving up 150 points three straight games. You know, people have to understand that. All right. Go ahead and keep on those uh, pretty awesome um, reviews on iTunes. Uh, be sure to check out J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. Uh, You know, that's awesome. We didn't have an episode this week. We'll come back next week. And keep these emails coming in. You can either tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please go follow that account. Or you can email us inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Everyone have a wonderful weekend. uh, And we'll be back soon with another episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast.